Hey, y'all, this is Gretchen from Always a Lessons Empowering Educators podcast. I'm a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts, but make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to the Infused Classroom Podcast, where each episode, Tanya Abrith and Holly Clark take you behind the scenes with leaders in education, give you insights into what's happening in classrooms around the globe, and showcase online platforms that are disrupting education. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Infused Classroom Podcast. I'm Holly Clark from San Diego, and I'm Tanya Abrith from South Florida. And today, Tanya and I are thrilled to have on one of my favorite travel partners and a good friend, Kevin Brookhauser from Monterey, California, because he's doing such amazing things at a school that we had to share it with you. So, Kevin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what the heck you're doing in Monterey? (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Holly. Thanks, Tanya, for having me on your podcast. This is so cool that you guys are doing this, Uh, definitely taking a lead on what educators should be doing. Uh, a little bit of background. Um, I've been an English and history and technology teacher, high school teacher for about 20 years, and uh, but also have been involved in the high-tech industry, worked in Silicon Valley, and I had a lot of exposure to the world that many of our students are going to be entering in, and and that's kind of become my passion, is make sure that we are preparing our students, not based on the way we had gone to school ourselves, but based upon the realities of the world and the rapidly changing world that our students are going to enter. And so, you know, some people know about me with, you know, implementing 20% time in the classroom and wrote a book about that and got interested in, in how coding can transform all classes, not just uh, technology classes. But uh, one of the things that I'm, I'm really interested in talking to you guys about, uh, part of it is because I plan on doing quite a bit of writing on, on this topic, and that's artificial intelligence and, and where artificial intelligence is going to take education. Um, you know, I think, I think we, everyone's read articles about how AI is, is the new big thing. This is not hype. In fact, it's not like, it's not even planning for the future. We're there. Like, AI is here. It's totally disrupting the world. But it's only the, the hockey stick, you know, that curve of, of change. It, it's starting to curve, but, but we're going to see some major, major changes in the future because of artificial intelligence. So that's really what I want to talk about is how do we prepare students for a world that's going to be so much different than it is even today, uh, based upon those realities. Right. And people already think it's so much more different than it was even 10 years ago. So you can't even, we can't even imagine what it's going to look like in the next 10 years. And and Kevin, I want to say that like uh, recently I've been doing a lot of reading on the same thing. And and I've said this before on the podcast that we know that 5G is going to take us to speed 600 times faster, but I don't think we have the ability to wrap our head around that. So when we say this to people and we say, like, we're seeing 1% of the change that we're going to see in the next decade, I don't know, you, you can't really picture it. So let's keep going. Let's talk a little bit about the job of a teacher. I think that AI is going to definitely shake up our jobs, but it 
doesn't mean that we're all going to be, you know, replaced by robots. I think we think about the the tasks that we do rather than our job as a whole. Like, what are the tasks that we do as a as a teacher? What are we supposed to do when we're managing a classroom? And I think that we can divide what we do into into kind of two categories. One of them is that we develop a, a meaningful relationship with our students. We're there to kind of motivate them to be inspired, to work hard, to think about where they're, where they want to head their lives, uh, what they want to do with their lives. And that's the human component of being a teacher. And I think, I think that's going to be around for a very long time. I don't think the robots can replace that. But the other part is, is where I think that teachers really need to focus their energy on, on, on thinking about how to plan for this change. And that is the delivery of content. Um, I think, I think we're going to see two major shifts in the way the world works with regard to delivering academic content. A, I think the robots will do a better job at delivering academic content than we are. And B, employers and the, the marketplace is, is going to care less and less about that content anyway. So I think that there's like a kind of a perfect storm going on that, that if we focus our energy as teachers at simply filling our heads full of facts and figures, we're not going to be as good at it as the competition, which is going to be the, the computers. Nobody's going to care. The truth is what students need the most are what we humans can, we teachers, human teachers can only deliver. You understand where I'm, where, where I'm going with this? Absolutely. So let's, let's look at what might, what is already happening with regard to delivery of content. Um, my first example of when I first realized that, that the computer was going to defeat me at the delivery of content game, when the video version of me ended up doing a more <laughs> effective job of me delivering content. So that started when I was teaching Shakespeare. Um, Holly, I probably shared Yeah, my, my video, right? That's when it all began. That's when my, my mind started to explode. I realized that, you know, I started flipping my classroom. Which, so I started recording my lectures on a, on a computer and, and having my students look at the computer, you know, watch those lectures uh, for homework. And then they came to me when, when I asked them to actually do what it used to be the homework while I was there and could walk them through the process. Well, I, I took, you know, careful uh, data analysis of the effectiveness of me teaching Shakespeare, particularly this one iambic pentameter. My video was more effective at teaching that complex uh, metrical verse bit of academic knowledge at iambic pentameter was more effective at delivering that that knowledge than me in the flesh so flipping was really effective and that was just by having students look at a a dumb video a video that didn't have any use of artificial intelligence but what happens and and i believe that that was more effective because the students they're kind of used to that medium and then they could pause when they needed to and rewind I, i still like to call rewinding YouTube videos, rewinding because I'm from the eighties, but, um, but they could go back and, and, and repeat what they didn't know. If, if they were, if they had the same problem with in the classroom, they would have to raise their hand and say, Hey, Mr. Brookhouser, I don't understand what you just said. Whereas I don't know about your students, but, but many of my students 
don't yet have the courage to do that. They think they're the only ones who don't understand. So it's really embarrassing in a classroom setting to say, hey, I don't understand something. Where it's not embarrassing to hit rewind on a YouTube video. Okay, so that's just like a regular YouTube video without any sort of AI attached to it. Imagine what happens when that video knows exactly what that student learned through that past minute of video and is and the the AI can take what it knows about the student and adjust the uh, the next lesson just a little bit to push that student just further than his or her uh, current abilities. It's amazing to, to do that on an individual uh, to do that on an individual level level is true differentiation mm. and it's it's even the best teacher I, i've seen some teachers who are way better at differentiating and and creating these customized lesson plans for different students but i don't i don't know any teacher who could do that on a on the kind of granular level that ai is already doing in some circumstances uh Tanya, are, are you familiar with the, the app duolingo yeah the language I am. app yeah so, so you've been using AI learning with Duolingo, if you've ever used it. What it does is gives you a, a series of really simple like lessons, little activities, and it, it tests you. And, and what it does, it does things that, that human teachers like us just cannot do, and that is make constant adjustments on what the individual student knows and pushes them just a little bit further. And the other thing is provide instant feedback, which which I just I know I can't do. So 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 if you've had the chance to play with Duolingo, which is a language app that has proven to be pretty effective in in teaching, it, it uses that kind of artificial intelligence. But I mean, we could talk about where it's going to go next. I mean, the, the uh, any sort of uh, algorithmic knowledge. I think there's going to be software that comes out where a student, you know, sits down for 20 minutes and starts acquiring some necessary knowledge uh, to to get them through. But but it's going to get really crazy. You know, there's there's now artificial intelligence. Um, the way it works is is AI works by by feeding it a lot of data, and I can't, I can't get technical about it because I I'm not an absolute expert on the the technology behind artificial intelligence. But, but what I know is that it, it's fed by data. So let's say you wanted to, I'm, I'm going to come from an English teacher. One of my jobs as an English teacher is to teach writing, which I love to do on like a individual basis. I love nothing more than sitting down with a student and talk about the craft of writing. But one thing that I hate doing is grading a stack of English papers. There's a, a, an AI tool that is being developed right now that can grade an English paper that pass the Turing test. Have you guys heard of the Turing test before? It's a theoretical test that it, it attempts to, to see if AI is as good as a human being. If you were chatting, like typing in a chat room, if you could not tell if it was, if what you're chatting with was a human being or if it was artificial intelligence, then that means that that AI system passed the Turing test. Wow. So if you, if you can't tell the difference between a human and a robot, then it passes the Turing test. So nothing has passed the Turing test as far as like... The, Something has. No, not visually. Not, not oh, visually. Not visually. Okay. 
Yeah. Okay, so what I'm saying is that that you can that that the Turing test has been passed in a in a text based environment. So there are chatbots that the user cannot tell the difference between this chatbot and a real human. So you ask it questions and it responds like a real human. Well, they are getting very close to an AI paper grader that other English teachers cannot distinguish this graded paper versus a, a paper that's graded by a human being. So th- that's where this is going. Wow. Um, so my my point is, is if if you think that your job as a teacher is to deliver content, I think you're in trouble. Um, I think uh, it, it, we're not there yet. I still think humans right now are better at teaching geometry and better at teaching at Shakespeare and whatever world history. I still think humans are better than the, the AI, um, but it's not going to be long before the computers do surpass the humans at simply delivering academic content. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us in a really great place. I th- we're going to have the luxury of outsourcing some of the drudgery and uh, to these machines. We can focus our energy on you know what what really gets us excited about about being in the classroom, and that is having that human relationship with with our students and and really inspiring our students on a on a human level. And that's what we're going to need to do. I think I think project based learning is is a core part of that. Um, and I think about getting students out of the classroom and out in their communities and using that academic knowledge that they've, they've learned through whatever method they've learned it and using that knowledge in a real world application by getting out in the community and, and really committing to civic engagement. I think, I think that that is, is going to be an important component of what schools are. I think a lot of what, we now think of as extracurricular activities are going to be the core of what schools do. And I think a lot of what we used to think of as the core of what we do, the reading, writing, and arithmetic, uh, that those kinds of activities are increasingly going to be delivered through some sort of uh, technological platform. So Kevin, how are you getting your school ready in those, in this day and age what I'm hoping that we continue to do is recognize that the core of what we do as teachers is is giving students purpose-driven projects so that uh, we're discounting the role of facts and uh, content uh, content acquisition and uh, those kind of fixed goals. And really focus on authentic assessments. So rather than just uh, quizzing students and, and checking off boxes by taking standardized tests, having students prove their what they've accomplished through authentic assessments, like like really engaging in the community, keeping keeping a digital portfolio, and uh, and and showing what their work out there in in the real world. 
I've been reading a lot about AI. I'm kind of a little obsessed with it. I listened to a podcast called Exponential Wisdom that I'm obsessed with. And it's a lot about this, like where we're going by two leaders, like the guy's named Peter Diamandis, and he does the X Prize. You might know of him. But he says, um, and this was my reading that I came across this, but they said something like, um, you know, the AI is going to have some answers for us because they're going to take all of this data and then they're going to have this output of a possible answer. And when that happens, we're going to have to wrap it as humans in empathy and compassion. And so if that is true, which I believe it is based on the stuff I'm reading, then empathy and compassion and curiosity become, forget the four C's. I mean, they're so important. I love me some collaboration, (laughs) you know, but, um, but like, we've got to get this back into schools and empathy never was in schools, but, but curiosity is the C that we forget about and empathy. We don't talk about. So you did a, I bring up empathy because you did a great project with your kids where you taught them through coding empathy which I think is important. Can you talk a little bit about that? We were inspired by this this website that was produced by the BBC. It was, it it traced the um, Syrian some some uh, refugees from the Syrian civil war, and uh, it was a kind of a, like a choose your own adventure experience. So you when you went to this website, you played the role of a refugee looking to you know, protect your family and you had to make the the same kind of really tough choices that, that individuals have to make every day when they're living in, in those kinds of circumstances. And, uh, it was, it's incredibly powerful because it's, it's written in the second person. So you really have to make those same kind of choices and it, it hits you on an emotional level that I think just reading about it cannot do. And, uh, and so we asked our students to collaborate across several different academic disciplines to, to create a similar um, interactive experience, but based upon something that's more relevant to our geography here in California, uh, we have a large number of uh, immigrants coming in from Central America and Mexico. And so what, what my students did is researched what it was like to decide to uproot your, your family from a country like Guatemala and, and take and, and, and walk all the way up through, through Mexico into California and taking that kind of risk. And that experience itself and doing the research was really valuable learning experience, but that my students knew that what they were doing was not just checking off a box to, you know, meet some sort of academic criteria. So, okay, now I've learned this thing. They, they realized that their job was was not to just impress the teacher or whatever, but it was to actually change the minds of audience members, to get them to rethink uh, their opinion on what the, the immigration issue here in California is. And, and simply to inform people on a personal level what it's like to make those kind of tough decisions, to come up into California. And just like you said, Holly, to, to build empathy and... You know, that's the one thing that the the robots are going to be really bad at is, really is empathy, bad. right? I, I just, I don't think that we need to worry about competing with them on, on that level. Hmm. Um, at least I don't think so any anytime soon. I know some people that are like robots. I, I think I can I teach them. <laughs> you know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you guys about is, is uh, where AI could be taking our economy in general 
Have you guys yeah. been following, um, you know, th- th- there's a lot of talk about like the trucking industry, those jobs going away. Yeah, yeah. On, uh, on, uh, and, and I think that that's going to happen. I don't know when, but I suspect it's going to be, you know, in the next 15 years. And we're, we're talking about a huge number of jobs in, in the United States. And, and what's well, the across- most common job is a driver. The most common male job, ambulance, truck, Uber, whatever, bus. And, and, and it pays, I mean, you can, you can feed your family, right? Yeah. With, with that kind of job. And, and there's a good chance that those jobs are going out the window. I think a lot of jobs are going to be taken away. And, you know, there's a, a candidate, uh, Yang, who, a pre, pre, Democratic presidential candidate, he's suggesting that we um, implement what's called UBI, universal basic income, based upon this. It's a really controversial topic, but his platform is let's give everybody $1,000 a month. And uh, if we did that, uh, we could improve our economy. Now, I, we don't have time to debate the merits of UBI. I, I know, but, but I want to tell you that really, really smart economists are saying that AI could lead to the to, to the necessity of something like UBI in order to keep our economy going. So, but but there's some there's there's some obvious risks to this to, to UBI. You know, one thing is that, that I worry about is if everyone just gets a paycheck, then what we're doing is kind of diminishing the role of uh, of employment as like a sense of meaning, right? So it's it's feasible. It's not. It's, Yang's UBI wouldn't be a enough to like allow everyone to just quit their jobs, but it would diminish the role. It, it could diminish the role of of people's jobs. And so the question is, if if a lot of our people had a thousand dollars a month, what would they what would they spend their time doing? I worry that a lot of people would play a lot of Fortnite and take a lot of fentanyl. Yeah, so I thought. <laughs> but that's that's $12,000 a year. I mean, you can't actually live in California for instance on $12,000, never mind probably even Idaho. It's a booster, not right. a not a replacement. Right. I mean, but that's the thing. It's bo- it's a booster, but it's still going to drive the cost of everything up anyways. <laughs> well, yeah, it may just cause inflation, right? Yeah. So, the point that I'm, I'm I want to make on this is that th- this could be coming no matter what. And if it is, how are people going to spend their days? And, and I think that's why we need to, to really double down on service. I think it may be that a lot of people will not be able to find the kind of purpose out of their employment that they're used to in the future. You know, we, especially in, in the United States, we, when we say, what do you do? Our answer is our job, right? Now, if you go to other countries, you say, what do you do? Like the answer is often, you know, what uh, your religion or your pastimes or your family. But here in the United States, it's, it's tied to your job, right? And, and what, what's going to happen in, in the United States in particular if the role of the job is, is starting to be diminished? And, Look, even even Larry Page said that he he suspected that we would need to probably reduce our our workload, our our hourly, you know, that forty hour work week. He didn't think that that there would be forty hours worth of work in the Holy. future with AI. 
Wow. I might, right? I might like that because I'm working like 60 hours a week right now or 80. So I'm like, yeah, a- well, Holly, I know you. You'll never not work. <laughs> You'll never not work. No Holly. Anybody who knows but- you knows that's not true. <laughs> But but the thing is that there may not be forty hours of work, work for for people. So how are we, what are we gonna how are we gonna find meaning in our lives? And that's why I think we need to double down on service. I think the core of what schools need to be doing is getting out in the community and engaging in the community through community service. I actually I I would recommend mandatory community service for all school aged children. Everyone get in a sense that my job is to have a positive impact on my community. And that could be through a variety of, you know, different applications. But, you know, I've gotten a reputation in, in my community as uh, my classroom is the one that like connects with local nonprofits. And my phone doesn't stop ringing saying, hey, can, can your students come help me with this project? Can your students come? There's, there's an undying thirst for the kind of work that your students can do if you make service the purpose of your class and it could be within the school itself like the but a a, a central component may, maybe it's 20% of of the class for now is what is this positive community engagement project that the students are going to work on and that's empathy is embedded in that you can't do that without some sort of empathy or compassion the two things i brought up yeah, in fact, I think that you should go, go through the design thinking process. So you go, go out maybe into your campus if you have transportation issues. Just go out onto the campus or if you can get out into the broader community, maybe with uh, some sort of organization that works with younger kids or with your local senior population. Go out there and, and look at problems to solve. And, and if you apply the design thinking process, which is this kind of it's a method of solving problems. This first step in the design thinking process is, is, is empathy. Just like you're saying, Holly, like you've got to truly understand your audience. What, what is it like to be uh, a 93-year-old a veteran who's spending 90% of his waking days alone? Right. That's a that's a reality that a lot of people in our population have and our students could solve that. But they would first need to to go through that empathy phase, like really get to know what it's like to be that individual and to spend a good amount of time just interviewing and just listening like that's the key. Right. And uh, and then designing some sort of solution to that. It it could be a technical solution or it could be a non-technical solution. This is Chris Nessie, founder of the Education Podcast Network. ISTE 2019 is right around the corner and we're hosting an Education Podcast Network meetup. Come out on Sunday, June 23rd at 6 p.m. at Pat's King of Steaks and meet all your favorite Education Podcast Network podcasters and connect with other listeners. We're going to have an old-fashioned cheesesteak challenge. We're going to eat at Pat's, we're going to eat at Gino's, we're going to have a good time, talk podcasting, and we'd love to see you there. Come out on June 23rd at 6 p.m. if you're going to be in Philly for ISTE 2019. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, back to the podcast. 
I think finding a problem that you need to answer is going to become everything. Um, I get to work right now with a really successful entrepreneur and I'm around him a lot. And he keeps telling me that like, that is how people become successful by finding a problem that needs to be solved, you know? Well, that, that, that's, that's the mindset. That's actually the curse of the entrepreneur. Like that's all they see is problems all around them. <laughs> that's definitely the person that she's talking about. <laughs> Wait, we can solve that. Right. Yeah. But that's the cool thing. It's, it's not just a complainer, but, but someone who recognizes opportunities. That's really what, that's why they're successful. Well, that entrepreneur mindset is something that I think, unfortunately, at this point, in so many schools is almost un, I don't know what the right word is, but I think our students are almost programmed by the time they get into like 11th grade to lose that, that spark. Like I'd say it starts to get lost in middle school, but still sort of there. And then they get into high school and it's like their freshman year. And then by the end of freshman year, they are so programmed to just, you know, tell me what I need to do to get that A. Like, what, what's, let's play the game. Let's play the game. And they're playing the game of school, right? And so the motivation to solve problems is not there anymore. Not for all, of course. It's not the case for well, we some. We schooled it. Yeah. We schooled it out of them. And Tanya. Yeah. We schooled it out of them. We've, we've taught them to salivate yeah. at the sound of a bell, right? Yeah. I mean, it's totally. All the way. And Pavlov, yeah, and, sorry. <laughs> yeah, good, good job, schools. Well, and, the yeah. teach, and, and and in the defense of the teachers, when you're part of a system that doesn't communicate, you know, between classes and you're teaching in a silo for seven periods or five or six periods a day and teaching two of the same things over and over year to year to year, what do you think happens as well, right? And right. It's, it's just a, like the system itself needs such – so much disruption right now. Uh, and so I, I'm excited about the idea of AI because I feel like, well, maybe this is the disruption that we need. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I felt that way when like all this technology came out and then like nothing changed, <laughs> right? Like I remember that right. feeling like when all this stuff was happening 10 years ago, like a decade, it was like this energy, like, oh, there's this stuff coming and it's got to change. And then it's like, well, 10 years later, it still kind of looks exactly the same way. Like, it did 20 years ago in most schools. So I hope you're right. I don't want to be the pessimist, but I'm, I'm the realist because I think like I live in it right now and I need to feel well, excited maybe, again. Maybe this is a little bit of hope. I think that there's, there's a bit of a difference happening now. Um, up, up until pretty recently, the, the transformation of technology and education has kind of been uh, really just replacing textbooks yeah. and yeah. paper with with digital versions of the same thing except for you guys i know but but um <laughs> that's that's really what we've been noticing except there has been yeah. more information available and there's more collaborative collaborative tools but but i'm actually thinking that this could be a major shift you know the people are pretty conservative when they think about education they don't want their kids to be guinea pigs and they know that that you know they've done relatively okay in a pretty traditional academic situation. And so, you know, there's, there's probably a resistance to, you know, throw out uh, all of these academic disciplines that, that a hundred or 200 years ago, we decided were really important. Like, and and I don't want to say that they're not, 
You know, I think that Shakespeare is important. I think that chemistry is important. But I don't think that we've taken a hard look at all of those academic disciplines and say whether they're as important now as they were when they were decided that they were the core things that students needed to learn. But but I think that the people who just are not willing to give those things up, which, you know, they have, they have very good reasons not to want to give those things up. But I think that if we can outsource that, to the computers that do a better job at delivering a lot of that content, then we can just say, yeah, yeah, here, you can have that. But I, I think the marketplace is going to increasingly uh, dictate that that s- a lot of those skills just, like, let's... Right. But- we, we can take Shakespeare, you know, that's, that's kind of my purview. If people out in the real world do just fine without it. I do want to say it's nice to have some sort of core of it, or you take like, uh, like calculus. Well, in an article yesterday, I wrote, but there's the rub, and I thought, how many people know what I mean? Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> totally. So, I mean, there there is something to be said about cultural literacy. Like, we all need to have in our brains, even though you could look it up on Wikipedia or whatever, we all need to have something in our brains in order to be like literate people. Mm. But you know, I, I don't think that we need to have the same number of facts in our heads that we used to have. So here's right? the thing. You'll have, you know, this replacement of content and through AI where the students can learn and pick up what they need. And then you'll have an abundance of teachers that are still needed, but have never functioned in any other way. And so at this point, it's almost like you, you, if you, if you're, you, if you're going to stay relevant and you're going to be, if you if you want to keep your job, you really need to start understanding the importance of inquiry and questioning and curiosity in your classroom. Because at that point, it's not going to be about technology or your ability to be literate on technology. It's going to be your ability to ask good questions. If you're the authority of knowledge, right, and your job is to dispense knowledge. You probably, like I did, went to went to graduate school to learn this stuff, and so, and you're used to being the expert in the room. And and when you're not doing that, when you're focused more on inquiry and curiosity, and and what I would add is is really understanding the what drives students emotionally, right? Really having that emotional IQ that or the EQ uh, component of of the class. Well, it you're kind of stepping down from that podium, right? And and it's kind of a scary place to be, especially when teachers up until now or the near future, you know, they've been evaluated on those those kinds of standards and are still being yeah, evaluated. And I'm not, and the, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, not blaming those teachers. They're, no, you're they're, not. I know. they're, they're in a vacuum. <laughs> they're just being sucked in all those in that direction. They don't have much choice most of the time. No, they don't have the freedom to like, Oh, I'm just going to do service in my class. Yeah. Right. right. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm hoping that, that teachers do go rogue on some Maybe. level and just be like, and be like, yeah, I'm going to do this anyway, even though it's not necessarily endorsed. But my big message is to the the world in general, administrators, parents, um, leaders of our government. Like we need a serious change in in what the role of schools are. Wow. When, when the when the computers, I'm telling you, right? I mean, you know this. Yeah, yeah. Duolingo it's scary. is 
going to be better than... It is better. I'm sorry. I don't really I know. mean... I, I hate to say this because we have friends who are in this... I know. In, in this category, right? But but uh, the thing is, the software is going to be better. So so what can... You know, the, the future of the Spanish classroom is going to look more like a... Uh, I hate to Cultural. say this. It's going to look more like a cocktail party than a, than a yeah. classroom. Yeah, uh, I like it though. <laughs> but you not for kids. I mean? But you know what I mean. Yeah. Okay, but not the cocktails. But you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's going to be yeah. a group of people holding a conversation. Yes. It should and, have been and, for a long time. It's, you're, you're right, right? Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Anyway, and then and then also having those kids uh, go out in the community and and engage with the native Spanish speaking population as well, right? Through a service project, that's what should, that's what should be happening in in a Spanish classroom. You're spot on, and I just want teachers who are listening to understand that we are entering a decade in 2020 where we have only seen one percent of the change we will see. And kids like Tanya has a second grader at home. He will come out of the school system at the tail end of that decade that we're going to see all of this change, which is going to look so dramatically different. And so we have to rethink schools for them. Oh, it's so urgent. I'm, I'm, I can't, I, when I think about it, I'm, I get sick in my stomach because I have a second grader and he is not going to be prepared if we don't start shifting the way that we look at, at teaching in schools. Let's do it. One last thing, like, like, so we're talking about AI, both of you, both of us have some pretty, you know, good statistics and things around it. And what we're being is the chief learning officer for our kids. And, and you've got to change your mindset that you're the chief learning officer in your classroom. And if you are just hearing this, this can't be so your job is that of a, an educator. So you must be educated. And um, we just can't, like, I know teachers that I taught with at a school here in San Diego. I don't know. I probably could ask them the last time they read an education book and they would say college. Just can't. Right. Mm. I don't mean to pick on them because I don't know for sure if that's true. <laughs> but, but I think, anyway, Kevin, any last comments about this kind of new look at what we need to do in schools? I mean, I really think about, you know, want, want teachers to think about what are the sorts of things that they do that is like repeated, something that is kind of a rote task. And I think like I've, I've been saying this for years, but it's even more important. You need to just embrace that the robot's going to do a better, better job at that than you and really focus on what is it that really gets you excited. And that's going to have that. It's going to be undoubtedly that human relationship that you have with your students and your job is no longer to fill your kids full of knowledge but to fill your fill your kids full of inspiration to go out and and be the people who are going to have a purposeful life and and i know uh holly you'd asked me to think about you know some uh, a book that i that i'd like to share you know if you're interested in learning a little a bit about how uh, ai is going to shake up our economy in general um check out the book what to do when machines do everything by malcolm frank it's a uh, it's a very approachable uh approachable book and then the other one is i, I ai superpowers kaifu lee oh, i haven't i'm not familiar with that one 
Okay. There's, um, I normally wouldn't add here, but I'm just really into reading about um, AI right now. So AI superpowers, Kaifu Lee, who was just on 60 Minutes, I think people have seen his little clip going around. There's also something called the New Silk Road. And um, I forget who writes that. And Abundance by Peter Diamandis. And uh, those are just amazing books as as well as, I mean, I just can't believe when I sit and listen to this podcast, I'm like, everyone needs to be listening to this podcast and not this one. I'm talking about exponential wisdom. Okay. Right. Exponential. I've already written it down. <laughs> Any others for you before we Well, say- the other one that, that doesn't have anything to do with AI, but it has to do with the kind of brain that we need, we need uh, to focus on. And it, it's by one of my favorite writers, Dan Pink. Yeah. Uh, and it's Over- called A Whole, a Whole New, New Mind. Yes. That's a good book. Yes. It's. It's and, so it's it's way more important than it was when it was published. Yeah, yes. yeah, so true. Right? It's becoming you know I mean? so much more relevant. Yes, <laughs> I totally you agree. You need a couple Dan Pink books right now. You need Win, and you need a whole new mind. Yeah, yeah, Win is and, really great. Like just need, just read everything he's ever written. Yes, yes. so yeah. true. And then, oh gosh, I, I'm a reader. I read like two or three books a month. I'm I, so I have a little problem with it because I would also add David and Goliath by Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, but yeah. I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> Anything Gladwell has written, I would say you must read, including listening to Revisionist History because this podcast is awesome. Well, thank you, Kevin. It's as always a pleasure. Um, I know you're headed to China. Um, I wanted to ask: Are you going to Beijing or Shanghai? Or somewhere else. Um, I'm flying through Beijing, but I'm going into the Hunan province in, in kind of in the middle of, of China to speak to uh, the university presidents and vice presidents of Asia and the Pacific. Wow, well, cool. that doesn't suck. <laughs> but, um, at my um, hotel in Beijing, uh, robots were everywhere, by the way, so you might enjoy seeing that. <laughs> cool. <laughs> anyway okay well thank you and um thank you and oh kevin how can people get a hold of you and where can they buy things that you might have made and what have you awesome yeah you can just uh the, the best way to get a hold of me is i'm on all the the things at brookhauser is my username on uh twitter instagram facebook uh kevin org, or uh is is where you can learn more about uh my books and my speaking engagements Thank you so much. This was so awesome. What a great episode. Well, thank yeah. you so much for inviting me. It's, I'm really honored. <laughs> okay, we'll see you again soon. Bye, everyone. Okay, I hope so. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Infused Classroom Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or anywhere you get podcasts. Keep up with the conversation by using the hashtag Infused Classroom on Twitter and Instagram. And make sure to check out InfusedClassroom.com. See you next time.